if I said good morning church everybody would wake up right alright I, I hear some people out there I hear you out there hey will this, will this get you justification by faith alone scripture alone grace alone those are pretty good terms aren't they uh, really those are like the most important facets of Christianity those are things we uh, hang our belief on they're vital doctrines and uh, what's amazing is those doctrines had been lost for some time in the church if we can say it that way uh, they were rediscovered to start the reformation but uh, it doesn't mean they were lost always wherever the church is at it does have truth and those doctrines are precious to them and they've always been there because of uh, the Lord and being the head of his church um, when we talk about these doctrines we're talking about the very heart of the gospel and talking about his great grace this morning it's encouraging and, and of course uh, in the very early church right at the very outset right at the very first sermon that Peter preached uh, those doctrines were at the forefront uh, and all throughout the early days of the church and throughout uh, church history uh, of course they were taught by Jesus you'll see them in the Old Testament definitely Jesus expounded upon the doctrines of grace and gospel and of course Peter preached that and John preached that all the other apostles preached it and of course Paul did as we read so many of his epistles and he guards the matter of grace constantly and uh the gospel of grace is foreign to the very nature of man, though, because man uh, is struck at uh, at his heart when he hears this, and it's a little bit hard to believe. But actually, people are highly offended by it because it levels us to the ground. It takes us down, and it brings up the very majesty and greatness of God, and it brings up to the position where He needs to be. And, uh, of course, people don't want to hear how sinful they are. Who wants to hear how sinful that uh, we've been? But uh, the gospel is that man cannot and will not save himself. And it is God and God alone who saves man uh, to bring him into his kingdom. Now, that's humbling to the natural man. But to all who receive him, that is a precious truth to us. And it's the heart of the matter, isn't it? And that's what the book of Galatians is about. Uh, the, the book of Galatians is this great gospel of grace. And uh, Paul definitely uh, uh, defends that here. It's a matter of truth that needs to be expounded on in, in Galatia as he writes this uh, epistle to them. Uh, the matter of truth really was at stake. And so Paul has to, with urgency, bring forth uh, the truth to them. False teachers have gotten into the church. They always have. And, um, of course, when Paul left that area, as soon as he left, they started creeping in, these Judaizers at that time, and they were teaching uh, against Paul and against his message, the very gospel of grace. And it was a matter of legalism. Um, the Phariseeism that Jesus had so often challenged. And um, we know that uh, that legalism will put us, it will put people back into bondage. And that's a terrible thing when you have freedom and you put yourself under a bondage. It's, it's, uh, that's not good. And it's so easy to do that because of the flesh. But when we have freedom, we can enjoy Christ and enjoy all the things that uh, He has for us. The, the issue, I think, comes down to this, is how does a sinner get right with God? And the mistake of the Judaizers 
and the forefathers back in the Old Testament time of the ones that uh, were actually hailing some of the uh, the false prophecies and such and uh, going against truth. They were going under that same kind of pattern. And down through the generations of the church, the same thing has happened all the way up into present time. The message of salvation by grace is a message that so easily can turn into a message of works. And and sometimes people don't even notice it. It's a natural heresy of the human heart to come up against absolutely all God. Because people like to think that we are the captains of our own souls. We are in charge of that. But aren't you glad you don't have to be the captain of your own soul anymore? Just you know, once we finally discover we don't need that and we don't even want it, we don't want to be the captain. Uh, he is the one. So all this surfaces here in the Galatian area, and it can ruin, it can destroy the gospel. That will not happen. God will not let that allow it to happen. He never has, even though it seems like sometimes that false gospel seems to be dominating and seems to be winning. But of course, in our study of Acts, we see how God operates and works. And really, that's what all this is about when we study things like we're going to today. We're seeing how God works. Kind of seeing His nature and how He does things. It's not our way. Oh, how we'd like to do things our way. But he shows, I've got a better way. And we go, well, that seems like the opposite way. But um, not not him. He has the perfect way. And uh, his grace gospel will never be destroyed. It's a free gift. And all those who belong to the church have taken that free gift. sets us free. Now, there's a theological problem. The theological problem is the superficial view of sin. That's why Paul begins with sin. If you look in Romans, we know the first three chapters. What does he do? Well, he brings out the the matter of man's sin and and he also then expounds on the doctrine of justification. And that's found in Romans. Well, when you look in Galatians, Paul spends a lot of time on man's sin, but yet Christ's righteousness and his works and um, the doctrine of justification is definitely found in this. Now, uh, that doctrine will certainly be expounded upon in the following uh, passages that we deal with probably next week. And um, so he will spend a little time on the law's role, what it is supposed to do, and how we are to be taken from that bondage of being under the law. The nature of Christ very contest with the Pharisees, as I mentioned earlier, was what he continually uh, talked about. And of course, the rabbis actually talked about grace. I mean, how can you miss it? It's throughout the Old Testament. They, they would speak about that. Anybody that's in the church today, they're going to say something about grace. Oh yes, we're saved by grace. But their problem is an unrealistic view uh, of sin. And what Jesus did when He was on the Sermon on the Mount, He brought in the truths of what the heart is really like. And he exposed not only the Pharisees, but he exposed all of mankind. He opened up our hearts and he shows the true enormity of our guilt before this great God. It's it's a profound blackness. And to understand that thoroughly is a lifetime. 
um, we, we, we know about sin, but the more we see it, uh, the weaknesses, uh, the di- desires of it, and boy, it goes on beyond description, doesn't it? And to realize that uh, we must look at that and see how we've been taken out of that. We were so hopeless. We were so lost. But we can be so right with God because of, of Christ and His righteousness. So, we look at this today and we talk about people who had come in the church and they were considered to be false brothers, as Paul calls them. And they had a, a message that was, yes, we're saved by Christ on the cross and His grace, but you have to do something else. You have to be circumcised. You have to be like what the Jews were. And uh, we have a, a message here full of hope as Paul continues on. He just preached extravagantly about grace. You ever heard of extravagant grace? Well, that's what he did. I mean, he, he went beyond what they would ever think would be proper to explain what God has done. Now, we've dealt with Paul's apostleship. We did that last week. And I know it may sound a little redundant because we're still kind of dealing with that, but we're going to move on. And what we're going to show this week, as he has revelation from God again, and he has authority, which he firmly has given proof and evidence of that. And I think a lot of people would have to say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, This time it's about being commended by the apostles. Are, are they preaching the same gospel as he's preaching? Um, what do they say about him? Because he really hasn't dealt with them. And so the, the false brethren want to hear the fact that he's preaching something different than the apostles are. Now, are you, are you catching that? that? That will help us as we go into this today because it's rather historical, rather biographical here again, kind of like last week. But there are many things I think we can get out of this for definitely for ourselves as we look at it historically. Um, if he's commended of this, we know that the gospel that he preaches in his epistles are right, and what Paul says is right, what the other apostles um, say are right. Now, if they are divided, then we'd have quite a problem, wouldn't we? Yes, what Paul says is wrong, what the other apostles say is right. And it's like, okay, well then we don't have the authority of the Bible. Then what are those books in there? Why, why is he in there? And uh, believe me, these false apostles would love to see a disagreement between Peter and James and John and some of the other ones, right? They'd love to see that. Because they kind of thought that the apostles were on their side. And they want the people to think that the apostles are on the side of these false brethren and they're against Paul. So if that can happen, then they win. But much to the dismay of the Judaizers, the early church is able to pick up on what they're doing and what Paul is saying. And so that's really what the heart of the matter is today. That kind of sums that up. So as we think about that, then we'll go into the text here and uh, see how this speaks at that time and then how it speaks to us right here today. Why don't we, um, why don't we rise for a moment, stretch, grab your Bibles, um, your phones, whatever, whatever it is to get to that Scripture. Isn't it great? We have so many ways to get to that now. I'm still old-fashioned. I have my Bible up here. One of these days, I'm going to 
grab one of those where I have enough big enough print. I'll just uh, surprise you. Dennis has gone techie now. Galatians 2 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, Your truth. And may we... Hold it precious to us. Guard it as it has been for 2,000 years. And may we be able to pass it on and be able to do it eagerly. In your Son's name, amen. Well, you can be seated. And we see that the first section here is dealing with orthodoxy. Is, is Peter preaching the right truth? All the other apostles. Is Paul preaching the same gospel? So the question of orthodoxy comes up. Put yourself in the place of the Galatian believers. You just read the letter Paul sent. And he gives very good evidence that, yes, he is an apostle and he has credibility coming from the very background that he came in. Why would he want to be an apostle of Christ if he was such the Jew that he was, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And it was all the work of God. Well, the next question they'd be asking then, okay, we're convinced of that, but is there a contradiction here? Contradiction. The, the apostles, Paul, are, are they saying something different? Are there two different Gospels? Can that be? Can, or is it Paul has a Gospel to the Gentiles and, and the apostles have the Gospel to the Jews? Is, is that what's happening? Is there disunity among the apostles? Paul not in unity with them. Is that what's going on? You remember that um, Paul is having to travel to Jerusalem and this is why he's coming here. We'll get to that in a moment. But if you have disunity among the apostles, then what it says in Ephesians, which is your next book over, in Ephesians 2.20, you're going to have a foundation that has cracked Coming apart. It says in verse 20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, 
Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. The, the whole, like the New Testament, the message of the Gospel of grace was the foundation. That, what they put down was the very foundation. Of course, it's the Word of God. It's this New Testament, right? That was what was laid down for the building to go up on. You have a good foundation, good. But if it's cracked, if you have the apostles in disagreement what the Gospel is and what it's about, what are you going to have? Cracked foundation. How can the church be built on a cracked foundation? Because it will fall. So you see how important this matter is, even though we're looking at a little bit of history and such. Um, we don't want any collapsing, right? And that's why Paul is making this trip all the way to Jerusalem. And, you know, it wasn't like second thoughts about saying, huh, I wonder if I do have the right gospel. Sometimes I really wonder, is, you know, am I different than the other ones? Am I saying something that's contradictory? You remember that last week we said that he had a direct revelation from God and he didn't get it from anybody else. It was straight from God. So he knows that. Now, some other people might be wondering that, especially there in Galatia now that they've heard about him. Um, And so, of course, if he would have done that, played right into the hands of the Judaizers, wouldn't it? That would have been a problem. Verse 2, he says, I went by revelation. It was because of revelation that I went up, that I went up to Jerusalem. There we go again, Aliyat, ascending up to this high place at Jerusalem. Um. Not only did he receive his gospel by revelation, that was found in chapter 1, verse 12, if you remember. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ just appeared to him, gave him these truths. And so we see the Lord himself still directing the very steps of Paul and directing him what to do here. And it says, after an interval of 14 years, right there in the first verse, after an interval of 14 years. Well, what's the 14 years? Well, you remember back in verse 18 of chapter 1, then three years later I went up to Jerusalem. Okay, he's saved. Doesn't go to Jerusalem. Doesn't go to the apostles. Three years he is um, in a different region. And then he does go to Jerusalem. Meets with Peter, James, not the other apostles. And uh, then that was 15 days. He goes back up. And uh, he is in Syria and Cilicia and different places. And that's the f- after the 14 years. So there were three years. It, then he goes away from Jerusalem after the 15 days. And then 14 years later, he comes back. So that's why he says, after an interval of 14 years. What's he doing during those 14 years? Well, if you want to know, um, we look at verse 21 of chapter 1. Keep going back to chapter 1, right? It's all a continuation as it goes into two. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But I have to keep reading because I love this. But only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us, he who once killed many Christians, killed, murdered them, is now preaching the faith. It's remarkable. Which he once tried to what? destroy. And as a result of that, what happened? And they were glorifying God because of me. Because of me, a murderer. Because of me, the the one who had been so Jewish. 
and to see what God now has done to me. Talking about a total turnaround. He can do it to Paul. He can do it to anybody, can he? At any time. And he does. That's remarkable. So, his ministry, 14 years, a lot of things going on. People hearing about that. People have been glorifying uh, because of that. But they, many in Judea there, well, they really hadn't seen him. Didn't Hadn't seen him in person. He went to Antioch. He was a pastor there with Barnabas. He went on his first missionary uh, journey with Barnabas. And um, all of those things occurred. Fourteen years. Now after the fourteen years, he comes back again because he's hearing things of what's happening as he had done missionary work in, in Galatia. And guess what's happening there? Well, when he got there, he actually announces the truth that he's been preaching for those 17 years. He's actually going to now run into the apostles. He had met Peter. I think Peter was convinced. The apostles are probably two. Um, but they, it's good that he would meet them now and talk with them. And it says, um, he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. I'll keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to that. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. What this amounts to is the very first church council. The leaders of the church get together because there's a discrepancy happening. There's a danger of something false coming into the church. And they could do that back then because it wasn't all over the world and it wasn't in different denominations and such. And there were different councils uh, in the very first few centuries that had to discuss very important things. Things like the deity of Christ. Things like the Trinity. Those things were of major importance. And people were ready to give up their lives for truth. So this uh, this is where uh, Paul comes together with them, and we know in Acts 15, and we can refer to that section quite frequently here today. I don't know how often we will touch on it, but here it is in Acts 15. I think this is really what is happening when when Peter or uh, Paul comes to Jerusalem. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Did you hear that? Now these people are people who have been saved by grace. And these guys that come from the Judean area, they go down up in that high land there from Jerusalem and such. And they actually go where the gospel had been preached and they say, you can't be a Christian. You can't be saved unless you're circumcised, unless you follow the rituals and everything that the Jews do, all the custom of Moses. It says in verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. Can you imagine debating with Paul and Barnabas? The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the uh, conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. 
By the way, on the way to Jerusalem, we'll just happen to touch a certain <laughs> amount of places. We see that in Acts, too, as we go along in our study. We've seen where, you know, uh, as they're heading to a certain place, maybe back home, they stop in different towns and villages and preach the gospel. There it is, Phoenicia and Samaria. Well, they've been told by the church. But Paul was solidified for the fact that God Himself told him to go. So he knew that this, this has to be done. This has to be taken care of. There's, there's something going on that's rocking the boat here. So he not only goes to um, the church there. They, they, they were sent by the church. You can think of Antioch and, and such. Uh, and they go to Jerusalem, speak to the church there, but they also then go privately. It says in Galatians... Um, I submitted to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation. I did it in private. I, I, not only did the church hear what he preached, but he got together with the apostles, the ones of reputation. We're talking the leaders who people would have uh, looked at. So there's a private meeting, and it was about the gospel of grace, folks. It's about the doctrines of grace. It's really what it's about. I think it would be really amazing work of God if the whole body of Christ was to get together today and um, maybe have a church council on about the doctrines of grace. It might change a few things. But that probably has gone way too far today. We have too many denominations, too many break-offs, but uh, here you had the one unified church at the time the circumcised party had come along, said you have to get circumcised. You're not saved. Yeah, I know you trusted in Christ. I know you're saved by grace, but you're not saved yet. Here's your grace, but I want to tell you, here's what you have to do. Okay. Now, with whom did Paul go? With Barnabas. He's been traveling with him. That's a pretty good guy to go with, isn't it? But he also brought Titus along. Paul is a very intelligent fellow. Not only is he led by God's Spirit, but uh, he's able to use wisdom. And why not bring Exhibit A? This one who is saved, converted, is an uncircumcised Gentile. And it's like saying, we're going to get this thing settled. I'm going to bring in a living witness. So, here's the presence of one who is uncircumcised. He's a Gentile. And boy, does it ever add tremendous weight to the argument that Paul has. He's a living, breathing Gentile who is sitting right in front of them. And he is full of God's Spirit. And how are they going to deal with this? Why did Paul take Titus? I think that's why, isn't it? Uh, Titus is a Greek, not circumcised according to Old Testament laws, yet he's a brother in Christ by faith. It's like bringing almost kind of like a Kansas Jayhawk into the zoo or Mizzou. <laughs> you know the rivalry that Kansas has with Missouri, right? Somebody comes in with a Kansas T-shirt. Whoa. <laughs> anyway 
But they recognize that this man's a Christian. This is the freedom that Paul stands for. And he will fight for it. Titus is a great case to bring along. He's sitting there amongst them. And are they going to force him to be circumcised? He doesn't know what the apostles are going to say. Are they going to force him to be circumcised? There he is right there. And, they, and, and, if, and if they have been saying this, he doesn't know exactly how they're going to respond here, but if they've been saying the same thing that Judaizers have been saying, we're from Jerusalem. And according to the Jerusalem church, you've got to get circumcised. You know what they do? They um, replace freedom with bondage. See the freedom that Titus had? Now they're putting something on him that doesn't have anything to do with the Gospel. Titus came with me. He's a Gentile. Is the Jerusalem church going to receive him? What well, it says right here in Scripture. Verse 3, But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. They didn't say that... Uh, he needs one other thing here. He didn't say that at all. Matter of fact, Paul says, Ooh, okay, this is great. We're saying the same thing here. Um, anyway, these Judaizers actually came from the Jerusalem church. James was the pastor. And we're not saying James, which is the brother of our Lord. Uh, he was leading the church. And James didn't believe that either as we look at the first church council in Acts 15. You know, and he gives the only stipulations that they're due not to you know, do with the, with the blood and uh, of course the, to uh, practice fornication and that kind of thing. They gave those, those rules. And of course, it, no Christian would want to do those things, but that's all they laid upon them. But um, the Judaizers actually lied. You know, saying, hey, this is what the Jerusalem church teaches. No, no, no. They, they had their own thing that was going there. So there's a purpose in Paul going to Jerusalem. Are you catching it? He needed to confirm and show that the gospel that he's been preaching is not in vain in the sense that, hey, we're going up against him. We've got two different things happening here that we have contradictory messages. And actually, the other apostles are agreeing and they're showing unity. Boy, isn't it great whenever you see that? You go, oh, I mean, a load must have come off there. And of course, they're going to have to have that counsel to make sure that it's understood by ever, uh, everybody there. And so the Judaizers don't represent the church. They were definitely in that church, but they belong to the false brothers as we look at verse 4, is because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Now, we see that Paul would definitely resist against that kind of gospel that was happening. And it wasn't the apostles that were doing it. But it does have everything to do with these, these legalizers. There's an enslavement. So the main purpose we see right here in the, the first few verses, and uh, we see that private meeting with the, the apostles who are the ones of reputation. As we 
keep going on as, as we looked at verse 4. And then we see verse 5. It says, But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Paul wasn't going to yield to any of that. So that the truth of the Gospel would remain with you. They had the truth. There it was. We wanted to remain there. So, that's, that's a real reason. Galatian Christians have false brothers that are among them. Uh, you have to look at that word pseudadelphos. Pseuda. You've heard of pseuda, right? It's false. It's fake. And delphos is dealing with brothers. False brothers. False Christians. These guys weren't true Christians. They're false. But they're fools go. They look like they're real. They come in preaching grace. A little plus. Grace plus. But that's why we all have always heard sola gratia. Grace alone. Not plus. It's a matter of urgency. Real urgency. If you have something like that coming in in the very early days of the church, who knows what could have happened? So God gives a direct revelation to Paul and makes sure that this thing is going right. They spy out their liberty. And it's like, you know, they, they come in there secretly. People don't know about it. They're not going to come in saying, hey, we're false teachers, you know, and we're going to bring in some bad teaching. No, they're really quiet. And then they start slowly but surely bringing in things that are not of the gospel. And uh, they try to find some loophole here uh, to find somebody maybe abusing liberty, like saying grace alone, and then trying to go with that. Look in Romans 8.2. I want to give you some real encouragement this morning. Look at this. We know this. matter of fact, we sing this. Was this last week we sang this? Those guys are out there on that float trip today. You know what? They have the liberty to do that. <laughs> They're enjoying it. They're having a good time. But here's what you guys and them didn't say. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> we could just come out singing with that, right? For the law... The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law reveals our sin. The law condemns us to death. It's good. It's holy. It's perfect. The law is, but it can't save. And it condemns us though. And it says you've been set free. That's the law of the Spirit. So these guys were coming in and trying to spy that out and take what Christ had done, setting them free. If Paul had given in to the demand of the false brothers, what would have happened to the Gospel? Been destroyed. It would have certainly been destroyed. But, of course, God's not going to let that happen, is He? That's why He has a man like Paul come in there and make sure everything's okay. The apostles are okay. They're What they're doing... Um, the good news to the world is that you can have a right standing before a holy God and not feel guilty. Man, that does set you free. That kind of makes you want to guard the truth, doesn't it? This truth is special. It really is. Um, look in Second Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That's to uh, Timothy. Pastor Timothy. But that's to all of us. Anybody who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you're a believer, you have the treasure. What's the treasure? It's the truth. Guard that truth. When it comes to grace, guard it. It's been entrusted to you. It's been put in your name in the bank. There's been a deposit been made in your name. And you have it. Guard that. Guard it well. Look in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the Word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You can go on. That's great wisdom. But you see, it's talking about the truth of the very Word of God. And... It, there was a time right there they were getting away from sound doctrine. And we see it all throughout the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, all the way up to present time. There are always going to be people having their ears tickled and accumulating the kind of style of teaching that would be not the Gospel. So, guarding the truth. How about 1st Timothy 6.20? 1 Timothy 6. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. What does he end with? Grace be with you. Paul, the master of grace, right? You are that term. God is. Christ is. So this meeting is very important. We move to verse 6. And now we look at a picture of unity. But from those who were of high reputation, that's that's the apostles, the ones who had uh, great repute, the ones, people that, that it looked to. Then he's saying God doesn't hold them any higher than anybody else. You know, an apostle just had a great office, but they're still men, like us. People, man, human. High reputation. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Okay? So it's not making them up in, in their flesh, you know, to be somebody, to be some great hero, but they still have their order to do. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. They didn't add anything to the gospel. Paul wasn't missing anything. It wasn't that they said, hey, brother, what you're preaching is really good, but uh, there's something else here that you need to know. <laughs> that's not the case. They had nothing there to, to bring on. They contributed nothing to me in that sense. As far as um, being encouraged, oh, yeah, fellowship, all of those things. But to what he was preaching, that's that's the matter. And that's, of course, what he's there about. 
That's the theme. Uh, when you start seeing who these guys were, and it's mentioned, uh, of course, Peter, you see in verse 7. Down in verse 9, you see James and, of course, Cephas again, Peter, and John, who were reputed, or there's your reputation, to be pillars. They were pillars. Pillars of the church. Uh, these guys were pillars. They perceived the grace that was given to Paul. Isn't that interesting? You know, they, they saw Paul, and whenever they saw what he was about, they saw that it, God had graciously called him into the the commission that he had was very clear. They didn't have any questions about it at all. How many times have you ran into Christians? And I mean, within, it seems like 15 seconds, boom, you hit it right off. You ever had that happen? Isn't that cool? I mean, you get to talking about the Lord and everything, and it's like, that guy's a Christian. Yeah. I didn't know any better. That guy's got to be a Christian. Right? <laughs> uh, no questions. Matter of fact, you take these guys right here, they wrote 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament. These men who were reputed to be pillars. <laughs> that, with Paul and all those guys, much, most of the New Testament. Those particular individuals right there. Man, I mean, they were right on with Paul. Right on with him. There was nothing different in the gospel that they had and the gospel that he had. Because they were all inspired by God entirely. That should ring true to us. That should bring good news to us to know that right from the very outset, even though there's controversy in the gospel today, we know that from the very outset that was decided decided by God, first of all. But mankind sometimes have to come together and make sure that they are agreed upon. That's what their early church councils were about. And so, um, very, very important. Foundation of the church was not split. It's firm. It's solid. Foundation is there. It's strong. And you have two great missions. One to the Gentiles. One to the Jews. Peter is representing the gospel to the Jews. Paul is representing to the Gentiles, although Peter did go to some Gentiles. Paul went not only Gentiles but Jews, but as a general rule, that's who they were uh, going to. and That's what it's saying here. Uh, verse 7 says, But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel, God gave it to him, deposited it on his account, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And you, you notice the work of the Holy Spirit here, verse 8. For he, and you have a capital H there, who effectually, you like that word effectually? It means when God does something, he does it effectually, or I mean, he gets it done. Get her done. He gets it done. Effectually. Always. He will never fail. We can fail, but he never does. And as He works through us, He's going to make sure His work in us is going to be done. He's getting it done. He who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, 
So he effectually worked for Peter, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. So who's doing the work in those guys? It's the Holy Spirit. Right? And they recognized the grace that had been given to me. No doubt about it. That guy has been given grace. (laughs) Um, About that effectual work of the Holy Spirit, turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts 21. Verse 17. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After he greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. We know what they're saying, those Judaizers are saying. And Paul just related what's happening out there in the Gentile world and all the miracles and the, 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 how many people had come to Christ. And he related to all those things and they glorified God. Um, and he says, those people that have been telling lies about you, they will certainly hear that you have come. Uh, says, okay, here's what you better do. Yeah. Take protection here. Because this is at a time now that who knows what kind of um, craziness they might start up. Right? So, anyway, that's interesting that um, he goes to Jerusalem and, he, and he's accepted wholeheartedly, fully, by the, the apostles. I like in 1 Corinthians 15 where... It talks about Paul. I am the least of the apostles. He was the last one to become an apostle, and he had been the one that killed Christians. Not fit to be called an apostle, but he knows he's an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But, look at this, no, no matter what we have done in the past, look at this. Did you murder anybody? I mean, what's one of the worst things you can do? It's, it's to murder people. Right? To murder Christians? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain or empty. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul is saying it's all grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And I don't deserve it at all. I'm the least of them. He even called himself the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. And yet he's saying, but by the grace of God. They recognized that grace when they spoke to him. Can you imagine that meeting they must have had right there? And um, we we see here in Galatians at the end of verse nine, they they were pillars. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. 
so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The right hand of fellowship. Uh, Their clasping hands is a sign of friendship. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of promise. There's something here that uh, that you can take with that. Uh, The Jerusalem apostles, they took our hands and said, you're partners in our work. What we're doing is, this is all for the glory of God. We're doing the same thing. It's all over for the Judaizers. They don't have anything to stand on. There it shows that they are in unity. And the Judaizers either see this or hear about it, and it just takes out the floor from underneath them. Nothing to stand on. And they, they say, okay, listen, all we ask for you to do, we're adding something here, but not really. Uh, remember the poor. Remember them. You know, whatever you can do, or pray about it for them. The very thing I also was eager to do. He says, that's what he's already been doing. You know, sure. You know, they encourage him on. You know, remember those, the poor. The love of Christ should drive us. The gospel should reach us to those ones cast down, the poor, the needy. A lot of the early church uh, people had come from all over and they didn't want to go back home. They stayed there and um, a lot of the church had to take care of them. There was uh, a time that Jerusalem became very needy citywide too. But um, he became eager or zealous to do this. That's what he was doing. That's what he did in his ministry. And um, we too want to be caring in some cases that uh, we're not so sure about people when they have real needs and you know about it and we're still called to care for them. It's a responsibility of the church. Well, if God has worked in this way to preserve the truth of the Gospel, how much more should we desire to preserve the Gospel ourselves? To give our whole lives to the spreading of it and uh, this truth. To herald the good news of Jesus Christ saved by Him. God will work in you doing that. And um, the apostolic witnesses, they were faithful in what they did. And um, of course, the greatest event ever in the history of mankind is where the Son of God died for our sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day to save forever those who would put their trust in Him. A simple gospel of grace. By His grace, for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this message. May we not ever have it skewed. May it not ever be something that gets confusing, but that it would be true to us and that we could make it clear to people who need it. Maybe to remind people that they need to hear the gospel every day. They need to preach to themselves the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that your work is done. Thank you that Jesus has paid it all. For this is the message that Paul brought, the apostles brought, and what we still cling to today. In Jesus' name, amen.